didn't realize how much my own identity meant to me until like people started asking me about it because I'm clearly not white. <laughs> I'm definitely not white. So when people would like come up and be like, ask me about it, I was very like happy and proud to tell them who I was and like where I come from. And I think- Hey everyone, welcome back to Kasama's Rise Up. Today on the second episode of the podcast, we have a great-granddaughter of a Sakata from the Philippines. Erin was born and raised on Oahu, Hawaii, and she is currently a fourth year studying international relations and environmental science. Erin is someone who would title the season of her life, Home is Anywhere You Feel Love. And that is very beautiful because when we think about the concept of home, home is not just a physical location, but home is where you really feel the connection of where you are. And similar to many of us, Filipinos are the fastest community who you can really find anywhere you go from the US, from Canada, from UK, even Australia. And that just says to you about how rich our history is and how complex we are as culture and race. So without further said and do, before I wander off, I will give the rest of the mic for Erin to share more about who she is. Alright, hi, my name is Erin. I was born and raised on Oahu, Hawaii. I'm currently a fourth year study international relations and environmental science, and I'm the great grand or I'm a great granddaughter of Vicente Nting Iligio. <laughs> he is a Sakata from Iloko Sur, Philippines. And with all those things that I've kind of just talked about of different places I've lived, um, this little season of my life, I've called it Home is Anywhere You Feel Loved. Really start the conversation, especially because when it comes to our life story and telling who we are it's really part of it is reflecting and going back to our own history because that's what makes us who we are and being filipino there's a lot to tell who who is one and just reflecting on our history is one that helps and you shared about a very key fact, which is that you are a great-granddaughter of um, your grandfather. And one thing that I would like to ask before segueing into more further question is, what about your grandfather, or great-grandfather especially, 
had taught you. Um, Just like anything, or anything. Um. Okay, so my great grandpa he left the Philippines when he was about thirteen or fourteen, and then he immigrated to Hawaii. Um, and he was harvest operator at Del Monte, and he spent pretty much his entire teenage to a through adult to the end of his life there. And a lot of what his I've learned just from him and about his life is about like resilience and being there for your family, like being very consistent with the family and being there for the people that you love and care about. Um, before he he recently passed away, like in a, a few years ago, I believe in 2018, but he made it a point to make sure that all of his descendants, or as many as possible, would come by to um, his and my great grandma's house in Kunia camp um, for Sunday dinners. So that way we can always just like keep up with each other and still have that connection relationship with each other. So um, I've left Hawaii, but anytime I come home, I still will make, I still honor that tradition and okay, come back to, to the Kunia camp for Sunday dinners to still be close with my family. Grandfather that this is something that I want to continue to have my family together with. And it is that, hey, let's, uh, let's have a gathering and I think that's just like beautiful to like come together yeah of course and it feels very like Filipino I mean a lot of cultures do this but like it still feels very Filipino to like constantly be close with your family and that's why you see like Filipino parties it's like oh yeah your cousin and then your cousin's cousin and then your auntie and your uncle and just like anybody as far as possible to just to come by to the house and like eat it's really nice fun and slightly overwhelming sometimes but it's nice <laughs> when it comes to um in your family are you the youngest or the oldest out of the generation of my cousins i am i think i'm on the older ish side i think so out of like the great-grandchildren i think i'm the second oldest my oldest cousin who is a great grandchild she's only a few months older than i am but i'm still like on the older scale being the oldest children in your family has there been always an expectation for you be successful yeah um right before i left for washington dc my auntie she was very adamant that she wanted me to become a lawyer and be able to like provide a house for my family one day because it's like so expensive to live in Hawaii that you have to basically make six figures to just get by and she was like you know when you're done with college you gotta come back become a lawyer make all the money and then give us a house and I was like wow, that's a lot of work <laughs> and I've always been like the um academically pressured child out of my cousins and my siblings so there was always an expectation of me just going above and beyond of what is expected and as much as I try like I can only do so much and that's what I've learned is that 
you do have a limit and it's okay. <laughs> you're, you're not meant to be able to do everything. Exactly. And learning this more about you and like even being this kind of having this expectation on you, it's that having a sense of like how or what continue, what keeps you grounded, should I say? What keeps me grounded? Mm -hmm. mm. Mm. And I only ask this, and it's it's really um off not off tangent, but it's I ask this question because being the eldest, being a descendant, and having this pressure like from your family, um, being the academically involved. Child, a uh, person, like it's there's so much like driving forces that like tells you what you, what you can and cannot do. So what mm -hmm. keeps you grounded so that you're not you're anchored in a way that won't pull you away to where you're where you want to go. I've noticed that I have grown I've grown a deep appreciation, loving care for like chosen family, and I didn't know that was a thing until I got to college, and then. Once I was, like, separated from, like, my blood family, I needed a chosen family to, like, keep me grounded from kind of just losing my a sense of self. And I've noticed that has been, like, a recurring theme anytime I leave Hawaii, that I do need, like, some sense of community and chosen family to keep me grounded. And we all... And, even like blood family can be hard to navigate sometimes because relationships aren't only defined by a bloodline or a lineage. It can also be defined by like moments and memories and like good and bad memories. Like th those are the things that really define familial relationships and they're not always great. So yeah, mm -hmm. chosen family. Because that's, like, what you've really built for yourself. It's, like, the people that you know you can love and trust. Definitely. Yeah. And I I totally highly agree in that and, like, want to emphasize that because I feel like in a Filipino intergenerational household, it's hard when you feel like um, a lot of Filipinos in our family, like, can't, like, they have this constant um, desire to compare us to certain family members or just relatives and sometimes we just need that sense of boundary of like I need like I love blood families but sense of boundary that will kind of not make me want to hate them but kind of have this like I need someone to um, process this emotion yeah. Um, this is like related, but not really. So my younger cousin, he's not much, he's, I think he's like a year younger than me. He is currently pursuing a career of professional boxing. He is actually now the tallest Filipino American professional boxer in the United States. And it's really funny. Like anytime I hear anything about him, they're like, oh my gosh, your cousin Blazin, he's doing so good. 
how come you never got into sports like that? And I'm like, you think I'm athletically gifted? You think I'm not going to pass out from running for a mile? We talked about like different types of pressure that we feel from our family and just like comparing relatives and comparing people within your own generation. I have a younger cousin. Um, He's doing really, really well for himself. Uh, I'm so proud of him. But it's also really weird because our family has really taken a pride in like his accomplishments. And it's also become slightly evident of like where their biases are. Like, oh, Blazin is super athletically inclined. Aaron is super smart, but we also have these other great grandchildren. They're cool and all. And there's like, they, it is weird noticing like how relationships change when you start doing things on your own and doing well in that because it's much easier to become compared to within your own family like oh how come you're doing this when your cousin is doing this how come you never got into this but your cousin is doing this (laughs) yeah and i think even that example alone this real this does make this does make sense and it is part of the story because a lot of Filipinos in our community even has a hard time trying to navigate relation relationships alone because half of the time it's this is why I don't participate in family dinners or family parties is like someone always has to say something and it's hard when um, we're very collectivist in culture mindset, but sometimes we don't know when we don't know the time and place for things and um, trying to like be like trying to communicate to our older generations can be hard when they have they didn't have that space to that we are have now, which is like a space to share out um they're more in the i'm still navigating how to process my emotions how to do what is coping mechanism kind of thing in respect in their end and for us it's just like oh we learn about this because there's resources that helped us but for them it's just like the the only resources that they got was a discipline from their their, their mom or their dad or a sink or like corporal punishment and it's just those gaps in between like they need to repair their own inner child um it before i'm getting all right so i kind of touched on my awful vicente um but just to reiterate he came from the lo- local store um he never returned to the philippines he like came to Hawaii, stayed in Hawaii, made it his home, his livelihood, everything. He loves it, or he loved it before he passed away. Um, he was a harvest operator at Del Monte. He was very proud of what he did. Um, he and my great-grandma, um, Connie Lagua Iligio, they um, made their whole lives together in Kunia camp. I love their love story because it's like really funny. I, the way it was told to me is that my Apple Connie, she was in a beauty pageant with other Filipino girls in um, the Kunia camp, and she was the only Ilocano that won. And 
um, she said, uh, my great grandpa approached her after she won the beauty pageant because he doesn't want to date a loser. He only dates winners. So after that, they started dating. He like, he wanted to choose a wife based on who won a beauty pageant. It worked. Good, good for them. They stayed together. It was just really funny. I was like, okay. Yeah, that works. I was also told I get my cheekbones from her. And she, like, you know how, like, Filipinos really love beauty pageants? She, at yeah. one point, she was like, she's like, you should get into beauty pageants. You have my cheekbones. And I was like, I'm good. And did you know? <laughs> I did, I did, technically did one when I was, like, three or four. I did, like, one of those mm-hmm. colors and tiara things. I know that I lost. My mom said that my dad put me, like, an all-white outfit. And you don't do that with a three or four year old because they're gonna like roll around in dirt and stuff. So I lost. Mm-hmm. But I think I had fun. I don't know. Oh. If I had fun. At least you had fun. fun. Yeah. <laughs> For the vibes. I was there. I competed. Definitely did not win, but I was there. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. At least you can say I was in a pageant. <laughs> in a pageant at one point in my life. But. And then I'm um, trailing back to family history. I'm so sorry. Um, I'm actually mixed. So my no. other great grandpa, also on my mother's side, uh, Fidel Soria, mm-hmm. he immigrated from Mexico to the United States to also find work. Um, everything that I learned about him, he's still alive, by the way, but everything I've learned about him is through my abuela Rosa. Um, I know that they've like bounced around from different jobs in both Texas and California. It was like picking potatoes, picking strawberries, all kinds of stuff. And then eventually they settled in Los Angeles, like East LA area where he became a tailor. And he was arguably one of the best tailors in LA area because he designed a suit for Rob Schneider, the comedian. And I only know this because Rob Schneider has a port- there's a Rob Schneider portrait in like the family portrait hall. It's like a signed autograph. So he's an honorary member of the Soria family. And the caption says world's best tailor or LA's best tailor. Thank you, Fidel. And yeah, he's an honorary member of my family. Thank you, Rob Schneider. Wow. I, that's, that's, and Thank you for sharing about like the mixed side of you. Um, I think that's really like, valuable in terms of like where your where your family immigration is, and especially with being. And you can correct me if I'm wrong in trying to like um, echo what you said. Like you're Filipino Mexican. Uh, yes, and my dad is adopted. He is from Vietnam, but we don't know much about his family because he was adopted towards like the end. There are different aspects of all of pieces of my identity that I just find so interesting because a lot of Filipino culture tends to also overlap with being Latino and even like food just tends to overlap within Southeast Asia. So it's like everything's connected and there's always like this emphasis on community and family regardless of like varying regions of where they're from. But to like Philippines specifically, I've always found it so interesting of like the use of gold and sun motifs and how 
in like pre-colonial Philippines, how that was so, so important, just like embedded into culture. And that ha that kind of sentiment has carried on even through colonial periods. And even now we see like a lot of like sun motifs and there's still like a growing, what's the word I'm looking for? Trend of like use of gold in like Filipina um, beauty. And what else? And all three like um, cultures have like a history of resilience through years and years of colonialism and just like trying to carry heritage and culture through like different through periods of imperialism which is really resonates with me still and bring in tra transitioning along to have you been ever ashamed in embracing your own filipino latino and mixed identity. I know when I was younger, it was when my great grandpa, he used to hunt goats and he would bring them back for dinner. And that would freak me out seeing like a dead goat in the back of a Jeep, just showing up right before a family dinner to be cooked on the spot. And that will be like a period where I was like, I don't like being Filipino. <laughs> it's weird seeing this. And um, he was also really, into rooster cockfights and I am terrified of birds and I'm pretty sure it's because of that or like it added to that and so I don't like I was like I don't like being a Filipino because we do this it's weird it's loud and scary and I went um, my elementary school was like a lot of Japanese a lot of Japanese mixed students and <laughs> anytime I would like talk about like the goats or the roosters they'll be like what what are you talking about that's interesting that's kind of weird and yeah and i didn't i wasn't really like aware of how i felt towards my own cultures until much later in my life i think this t one time in freshman year of college i was working um it was during like Black Friday and I was like folding clothes because you know, clothes get messy and disaster strikes on Black Friday. And this lovely, very cute Filipino lady came up to me and then she just like stares at me a little bit and she's like, Filipina? And I was like, yeah, I'm Ilicano. And then she's like, that's okay. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's, a, that's a comment. And then, we like talked for a little bit and then she was like, oh, you're not full. And I was like, oh no, my mom is half Mexican, half Filipino and my dad is adopted from Vietnam. And then she was so bewildered by that statement. She was like, so you're not really Filipino. And I was like, but I am. <laughs> and she's like, so what do you feel most connected to? I was like, did you have a debut? Did you do this, this and this? And I was like, no. I did not have a debut because that's expensive. I think I would rather go to college than dropped that much money for the for a party. And when she asked like what I feel most connected to, I told her that like I feel equally connected to being Filipino and Mexican because that is like the cultures that I definitely grew up in. Even though it's like it feels like a watered down version of both because I grew up 
in kind of just like an Americanized household where we didn't do all of like the super, super Filipino stuff. And also because I'm like geographically isolated from my, my very Latino family. So I didn't grow up speaking any Spanish. And um, there was a very conscious effort from my Filipino families for us to not learn any Ilocano because it was just easier to assimilate. Yeah. Yeah, but um, when it comes down to like what I feel most connected to or how I feel connected to like any of those cultures is just through food and just maintaining relationships with my family and creating those memories, even if it's not like the stereotypical parts of those, both any of those cultures really. Mm -hmm. It's still, it's knowing that I'm still, that is still part of my identity and that cannot be like taken away from me even if I can't like speak the language or I don't, or I didn't have like this random aspect of my childhood. Like that's still, I'm still Filipino. I am still Mexican. I am still Vietnamese mm -hmm. and that is okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that is your, your, that is your story. And I think you are onto something there. Like what we see in like media um, defining like, Filipino culture that is currently like what's out there and there's still a lot that's not being shared because it's hard when even like backtracking into the history of Philippines like how mass media has been it really has shielded a lot of people to know who they are um, and parts of it is because if you speak out about your situation in the Philippines kind of disappeared yeah and I think like even reflecting on your own like history and like reflecting on like your own identity of like what parts of it like makes you feel shameful before about being Filipino it's like they're like we're very spontaneous like and very um courageous like you yeah. want an animal like we're very much hunter-gatherers like we can very innovative <laughs> yeah and I think part of it is also like asking like what why why do we do this and it is that questions that will bring us home for sure yeah and has there been questions that you recently had about your own family um especially because i feel like just even knowing you in the surface level like i have always wanted to ask your own family i wish my great grandpa spoke more english because a lot of the questions i have are mainly for him but he mainly just spoke mm -hmm. ilocano for like most of his life and it'd be stuff like, why the U.S.? Or like, why did you stay in Hawaii? Why did you never mm -hmm. go back? Um, did you keep in contact with your family in a local store after you had left? Because he left when he was like really young. So I can't mm -hmm. imagine. He, and he, he left before, you know, global communication was a thing. So I'm not sure if he ever like kept contact with his family in there. Um, 
else? In what age did your grandfather, great grandfather, um, he left. He and his cousin left when they were about 13, 14 years old. And having to start an entire different life, even a foreign country alone, is a lot to navigate with. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of it. And I feel like there's this sense of like disconnection, um, especially when it comes to descendants to descendants is and it and it and it gets cut off because sometimes we don't have we never had that opportunity to learn until someone tells us yeah history i learned so many random things about him through his obituary that someone else wrote for him when he had passed away i was like looking through it, I was like, I didn't know he was from there, or I didn't know he did that. That was his actual job. I wish he had talked about it before. <laughs> but yeah, it it is weird, like learning about someone's history from another voice rather than their own. And I think that's why there's such a big value on like learning about someone's history from that person rather than like an outside party. That's why storytelling is so important and why storytelling is so important in like Filipino culture as well, because that's how we um, maintain our histories and like that's what keeps cultures resilient through periods of like suppression is through storytelling. And yeah. Yeah, and that you bring up such a good point especially because when it comes to storytelling that's where our history remains and that's where our history continues and this is where I segue into the question what does it mean for you to reclaim your Filipino identity that was so smooth by the way (laughs) I was like oh she did it Um, so ways that I have been learning to reclaim my own Filipino identity is through supporting other Filipinos and see how they maintain or reclaim their identity. So I like reading books by Filipino authors. I love, um, there's this collective, small business collective called Pusong Philippinex in Hawaii. And they have like this really cool, um, market where they just have all Filipino um, the small business owners come together and sell their little, little products and like explore the creativity. It's super cool. I love visiting there. Um, I've also had some of the best boba from Sama Sama. They're so good. And it's a Filipino owned business. And I love seeing how people reclaim and be in touch with their identities and culture through their own creative entrepreneurial entrepreneurial endeavors um i also recently got um involved with this community in dc called kapatan alliance where it's a lot of filipino americans and learning coming together to talk and more about like duarte and marcos because it's like not really something that is spoken a lot about in the US or especially like on the continent, especially, yeah. And it is kind of like a community of Filipinos and it helps you to 
reclaim and feel still feel connected to an identity that you could feel disconnected from. Yeah. So that's how I've been doing it <laughs> is through other relationships and learning from other people and consuming media and products that are by other Filipinos. I was like, I had to mute myself because um, I was cheering in the background because I think that's really a creative way. And I feel like even being able to have this opportunity to see other and lift other creators who are Filipino and who are like navigating their identity in their own unique way because you can do it in so many different ways um, is important. And I think that's what we need more. And when you brought up Kabataan Alliance, I'm just like, yeah. And I also remember that DC is connected to the DMV area. And I just, the folks there are really amazing. And I think like having, seeing you like being connected with them, and knowing how close-knit that community is, like, um, there is so much to learn. And I think chosen family, again, like, bringing it back is really important to have. Yeah. Um, Kabatan Alliance, DC, DMV, they're doing such incredible work, like, not only working in, like, solidarity issues, but also just keeping that community of Filipino-Americans together and just being there for each other is very, very, it's a really good community to be in. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to have gotten to know them in the past couple of years. And what is one advice you would tell your 12-year-old self about today? Let's see. When I was 12 years old, I think I was in sixth grade. I don't know, I might be, I might be doing the math wrong, but like I was definitely in elementary school, I think. Um. So Hawaii, super humid, right? This hair does not do well in humidity. So my hair would like poof up so, so much. It was really bad. Um, it got to the point when like, I once cut my hair into like a bob and it looked like a little mushroom kind of just grew on my head. <laughs> and um, I would get like picked on for my very, very thick, coarse hair because it was kind of just a little menace to maintain and to just have and it's not fun like no one has good middle school years I don't know anybody who has nice middle school years but it's even worse when you don't know how to like take care of features that are meant to be absolutely beautiful but it's just like you're not in an area that's meant for you or that can like sustain those features or like where those features are supported so I was told my 12 year self you will eventually figure out how to take care of your hair it's fine it is a beautiful thing you don't need to like flat iron your hair every single day don't do that it's bad for you um I also tan really really quickly like even amongst like my Filipino friends like everybody has pointed it out at least once is that I, ha I have a tendency to tan very, very quickly. So in a lot of my classrooms, I was usually the darkest and people would like point it out. Like, uh, I think earlier this year, 
I was just hanging out with like some of my Hawaii friends in DC and one of the girls was like I don't know why she brought this up but she's like oh yeah she's like when I come home I I want to tan but I want to get I want to see if I can become as dark as Aaron I'm like girl what, why was I the point of reference <laughs> I, I don't need to be the reference point of how dark you want to be and I didn't realize how um, prominent skin color was until I got to DC because this one time I was moving into my apartment and this mom, um, she was helping her daughter move in as well. And we were all in an elevator together and she kind of just like locked eyes with me. And then she just made this comment to everybody in this little elevator group. She's like, I love your legs. I wish I could get as dark as you. And I was like, okay. Thanks. That's cool. <laughs> Mind you, this was like August. So I had just come from Hawaii. So I was pretty dark. She was just like, oh, I wish I could get as dark as you. I can't do that. I just burn. And I was like, <laughs> thank you. I think. I don't know if that was a compliment, but thank you, I guess. <laughs> and so to that, I would tell 12 year old, 12 year old Aaron, number one, use sunscreen. You need it. Number two, <laughs> You're gonna be, learn to be okay with being one of the darkest people in the room. You're gonna learn to love it eventually. Um, and finally, yes, you're gonna start wearing glasses in fourth grade. No, it does not get better. You become internet addicted and your vision will get worse, but it's okay. My bad, I'm sorry I made it worse. <laughs> That's it. That's what I would tell my 12 year old self. A lot of lessons. I, I think a lot of lessons and a lot of interesting and a lot of not interesting, but a lot of great stories to say. Um, even like going back because and trying to like um frame it more into the story uh, your own story. It's like your twelve year old self, a lot of things happening, so many things going on. And I think when it comes to even in that age, 12-year-old, like, that's the age for your form, you're forming your own identity. You're trying to get to know who you are. What, in what point did you become more involved with even learning with your identity? And I know you briefly mentioned that it was through college, but it, yeah. was there, like, a moment or time, like, where you're, like, whoa, like, it gave you that sense of, like, like understanding of like everything makes so much sense right now it took me not being around a large group of filipinos to like bring myself to learn more about my own culture um i was at a hawaii club meeting at through my school and we were making musubis and there was a few people who are also Filipino and they told me that they wanted to create a Filipino American club. And I was like, that's so cool. Like getting to know where they came from in terms of the struggles that they had to go through, the sacrifices they had to make. And for, and for many of us who came to the diaspora and mind that diaspora is huge, some of us who immigrated, some of us who were born are still trying to grapple with like so many different issues. And part of it all is like 
we're even trying to navigate um, this identity here in Hawaii as Filipinos who may not know that Hawaii wasn't part of the America. And that's part of another nuance that a lot of Filipinos who do migrate in Hawaii don't get to hear or learn about. Yeah. Yeah. And especially if you come from like a family that come, that's Sakata, you're more, you've directly been, or once Sakatas came, they were immediately sent into like a very American industrialized system. Like that is what they knew about Hawaii. Dole was not Hawaiian. <laughs> the people who owned Del Monte were definitely not Hawaiian. They were definitely American owned. There was like no part of what had of their immigration experience that was like, oh, by the way, Hawaii is a kingdom that is illegally occupied. Like they were immediately inserted into a system of like capitalism and some were thrown in like in the midst of like an annexation of, a, of an entire kingdom and it's kind of like grappling with that whole grappling with like settler colonialism a bit where it's like you are like you like the racial triangulation sorry I feel like I keep coming back to this for some reason <laughs> um, where it's like we have immigrants not from Hawaii but they're like not as treated as well socially or like in a social economic hierarchy or whatever as much as like very white Americans who kind of took monop who kind of just monopolized Hawaii and just used it for economic gain and then you actually have Hawaiians who had lived and worked and just loved Hawaii their entire generations back back and back and then they're treated even they are treated worse or like they you can like their entire their land was taken away but then Filipino Sakatas, they are in this weird, weird middle ground of like, you're not indigenous to the land, but you're also not being treated that well because uh, you are still like an exploited laborer for a completely different party, all within just like an illegally occupied kingdom. Yeah, that is something that I think or like that I thought about, especially two semesters ago. Um, I don't know if I talked about this earlier. I might have, but we were learning about, or we were reading America's in the Heart um, by Carlos Bulosan. And although he like was not a Sakata, um, he was still like a Filipino immigrant. A lot of his experiences tended to like overlap a bit with Sakatas. But Sakata experience is really unique because many of them came during or like right after annexation so it was just like a weird position to be in to just like wrestle with yeah I know that Carlos Bulasan actually I think he did sail to Hawaii and he had um he had a great great grandson um in relative in Kauai, who I interviewed 
the past in season back year ago that they were kind of related. So Carlos Bolasan did set sail in Hawaii, but I think primarily he just went to California. And a yeah. lot of labor activists, um, a lot of overlapping. Um, and I feel like even when you shared that, I think a lot of cicadas and we're going to be hearing more of their stories um, later on, um, is that a lot of them see Hawaii not in the real history of Hawaii, but what they were told so that they could come here because the history that they know of was very much distorted in a way Mm -hmm. that they thought they were helping the families back home in the Philippines, but it was all a deception to get them to come here because of the the forced labor. And Filipinos was um, actually very cheap to have which is another story, but yeah. in your story to tell, I feel like you being able to be aware of this and being the the old one of the oldest in your family, both of your family, is there one thing that you would like to share to your siblings <laughs> or even relatives? Um, if- to my siblings. Yeah. Uh, first off, Emily, please stop going through my clothes. They're not yours. They're mine. <laughs> um, so not everybody, all, not all of my siblings are Filipino, but they, we all still, ve- still are very connected with each other. And we all have like our own very unique experiences with like the ways we grew up and like how our families have tr- have perpetuated their own cultures. And I think it just comes down to no matter what, we're still family, even if we're not super blood related or for only like half siblings or step siblings, we're still related and we still love each other. Like going back to my older, older statement about like chosen family and like, I'm not, even though like, your family that was like chosen for me, I would have chosen you guys anyways. And to my family, um, my Filipino family, I, I love and adore you all. I know that we are trying so hard to honor Apo Vicente's memory. And I know that you guys are also trying so hard to like just keep us as much as possible, try to keep us feel connected to our own culture it's okay. Sometimes it is okay to just accept like that we are in this weird middle ground of like not super Filipino, not super American. There's, we, we are our own identity. Like Filipino American is its own thing. Being a Filipino in Hawaii is its own thing because we have our own like his um, lineages and our own stories to tell. Like we don't have to like identify fully to this one extreme. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I would tell. And yeah, exactly what, exactly. And I think even a lot of us ask this question multiple times in in every 
aspect of the world is just like how do you identify as Filipino? Are you Filipino enough? Like all these questions always circles around, but the real answer is like there is no distinct answer. Everyone yeah, there's no such thing as like being a real Filipino. Or there's like I I feel like there's like no real such thing as like a um value of being Filipino enough, like a numeric value. Like there's no real checklist of like, oh, do you eat this food? Do you speak your own language? Can you do this? Do you, did you have a debut? All that stuff. Those are just pieces of our culture. Like it's, that doesn't have to like define an identity, you know? Yeah, you perfectly well said it. And I think, I think there is, how can we in our families uh, where we came from um it's our, it's within our name and i think this is so important to acknowledge is um especially being a filipino in hawaii itself is um the appreciation of like the hawaiian culture and how they see their own like name itself is their own lineage of a story um mm-hmm. and of course filipinos like um they had to change their names to Spanish. Um, we can talk about that in a different light. But even for you, um, having a, a Latino, Filipino, and Vietnamese, like how did your name came about? My dad, um, he was adopted by a Filipino father and a French-Canadian mother. Um, so my grandpa, uh, he'd also passed away a few years ago. Um, he's mm-hmm. from Kauai, and he was also le- working on a plantation at one point when he was a kid. But um, my grandparents like divorced when he- my dad was pretty young. So my dad grew up pretty removed from being Filipino. So he grew up in Toronto, Canada for most of his life. He speaks pretty decent French cannot speak a lick of Filipino. Um, But he has a very interesting intersection of identities because he grew up in London, Ontario. And at the time when he was growing up, he was, he, his brother and his best friend, who was also my godfather, um, they were the only people of color in their entire town. And because of that, all three of them felt just really removed from like their own cultures. And whenever my dad would visit my grandpa back in Kauai, he said he would just feel like kind of out of place. Like he never really felt connected to being Filipino because he just spent so much time in Canada and like in in Toronto. So whenever people like kind of see him, they immediately assume that he's like Filipino or Vietnamese or Hawaiian. He doesn't really know how to like answer. He's just like, I'm from Canada. Yeah. And whereas my mom, she's very, um, I feel like my mom is very self-assured, even though she doesn't believe that she is, because she will openly tell people that she's half Filipino, half Mexican, and she's very proud of that. So I'm glad I had my mom to help me navigate that kind of identity. And I think 
that's a really great segue to kind of say that for you as someone who is continuing to learn more about who you are and continuing to further your own education um, as an internal relations and environmental science like there's so much aspect to what you're going where you're going and like and I think like even like seeing now like from your own because we went down through your great-grandparents to your parents and now to you um it is up to you to continue um your own legacy in a way yeah 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 it is i think identity politics is so weird um because it is always changing and it is forever something that is malleable. Like there is no set identity of a person or a group. And it is really just comes down to like the individual and how they see and perceive themselves and how they show that to the world. Yeah. What do you think is the defining moment of your life right now? defining moment of my life <laughs> like the whole it's a thing. big question <laughs> just like a a period like a period of your life that you're going to um, actually look back from now let's see Defining moment in my life. Okay, so <laughs> in 2017, I believe, I went to what was basically nerd camp in Washington, DC. It was a summer camp for high schoolers to learn about international relations. And I went there thinking that I would just it was I thought it would just be like a trip to DC and maybe like learn a couple of things but I ended up making some of my like closest friends there and that really introduced me to this whole idea of like chosen family and like learning that home is literally anywhere um, you can find home with people that you love and care about regardless of place because it was like the first time I had like traveled on my own anywhere and I think that's really important. This is like such a sidetrack, but I feel like it's really important to like travel by yourself at one point in your life because it does help you navigate your own identity and figure out what you want. And so when I went to said dirt camp, I didn't realize how much my own identity meant to me until like people started asking me about it because I'm clearly not white <laughs> I'm definitely not white so when people would like come up and be like ask me about it I was very like happy and proud to tell them who I was and like where I come from and I think that is was like a very good defining moment for me because it made me realize like how self-assured you need to be and how confident in your identity you need to be to just like navigate this whole period of like 
globalization and just making new relationships with people who may have never been exposed to a person like you. Yeah. And that was like a pretty defining moment for me. Also, it was the reason why I got into international relations. So that that too. <laughs> yes to solo traveling and yes to really taking the time to like get to know yourself because it really does help a lot. Yeah. And I think this is actually a pretty great way to transition to the end and it is such a fun question describe your personality in a filipino dish that's so funny because a lot of filipino dishes are so similar to mexican dishes so that's why i think leche flan <laughs> that is perfect because it translates exactly in both ways and it's so good so simple to make and you bring it to a party, people love it. You know, I think I identify as a leche flan because I feel like it's really sweet and simple and it's easy to like get to know other, or I like associate a lot of my good memories with my family with leche flan because people just get so excited. And I'm like, oh, it's like what brings people together. And I like to think that I want that I want to be kind of like that person to bring people together in a simple, sweet way. Also, because it's Filipino and Mexican. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'd be Leche Flan. 